use your imagination this morning um, to find yourself in a real-life situation in which you were wrongly accused, you were convicted of a crime, and um, you can't even imagine, let alone carry it out. But imagine you were charged with murdering not one, not two, but six people, and six of those were, four of those six were children. And imagine that you received the death penalty for these crimes that you didn't commit. Imagine you were given a date of your execution, not only once, but twice, and a stake coming just a few days before you were supposed to be put to death. Imagine yourself in prison for years, in fact, 18 years in all, uh, before anything changes in your life. Um, well, what would you do? Uh, we, could take, uh, we could take a vote, you know, uh, and say, well, I would do this, I would do that. Um, hopefully, you would follow Anthony Graves' example, because he's the man that lived through this. Uh, he was eventually exonerated and released after his case was reviewed by a law professor and her students with the Innocent Project. It's a group committed to overturning legal injustices in our country. So his experience, I think, would have driven most people uh, to despair. You know, it's just like, man, this isn't fair. But his case was mishandled at every level, and the Texas Attorney General cited egregious misconduct by the prosecutor in his trial. But if you were to have a conversation with Anthony today, or hear him talk about his experiences in jail and prison, you'll find one of the most positive, inspiring, hope-filled people that you'd ever want to meet. Yep, here's a man who suffered injustice, uh, on a grand scale, almost losing two decades of his life, along with his reputation. But throughout that time, Anthony never lost his faith with Christ. Now, here's the deal. He wrestled with God, and I think that's pretty normal, you know? Wrestling with God in a situation like that. In fact, once he threw his Bible against the wall in his prison cell after reading some verses that he found in James 1 which said, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now you can imagine when he's reading that, what's going through his head, right? Hey, <laughs> Here I am in prison. I've got a death sentence on me. And you could see him throwing his Bible, couldn't you? I mean, would you throw your Bible? What do you think? Yes or no? You don't know. All right, we'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. But after he threw his Bible and as time went on, Anthony realized the situation. Yeah, he was innocent. He and God knew that. In fact, the real killer knew it as well. But Anthony became more confident as time went on that God was with him in that prison cell, that God had not abandoned him, that um, somehow something good would come out of this situation. Uh, so Anthony realized that God, in fact, did keep his promise, that God was with Anthony every single day 
while he was in that prison cell. And today, what's Anthony doing? Is he boycotting? Is he ticked off? Is he bitter? Absolutely not. He speaks, he writes about prison reform, and um, his story impacts thousands, but here's the deal. His faith in Jesus Christ and his love for God are very evident. In fact, he knows what it means to have hope when you have every reason to despair. And the same can be true for you and me today. So if we could take a vote for Anthony Graves, <laughs> I think we'll all vote. Anthony, thank you for modeling a life of integrity when, man, your life got ripped off, you know? And he modeled the character of Christ through it all. This morning, Habakkuk wasn't in prison for 18 years like Anthony Graves, but I'll tell you what, he knew what it felt like to be confined to terrible situations. And he was able to still remember the goodness of God, didn't he? When he saw everything around his life uh, falling apart, his nation turning its back on God. And um, Habakkuk, like Anthony Graves, made a decision that I don't care what's going on around my life, my circumstances may not change, but one thing I can count on, and that is my relationship with Jesus Christ. And Jesus is not going to let me down when I'm going through very challenging times. Habakkuk knew things was, were going to get worse for him, in fact, because the Babylonians would be coming to his town. And Babylon at the time was the strongest, most powerful nation in the world with a military. And they had lived up to their reputations for being brutal and evil and corrupt. And so Habakkuk was living under that kind of environment. And uh, this morning, we're going to go to the last chapter of the book, which is chapter 3. And on, your, on the back of your uh, program, there's an outline. And just, just to give you a heads up, there's a number four at the bottom that's been cut off. Somebody came in with scissors this morning and cut it off your program. So uh, we want to give you a heads up that number four is there. In fact, when we get to it, it'll be up on the screen and you can, you can fill it in. But um, I want to bring to your attention that uh, verse 1 in the Amplified Version, We've, we haven't hit this over the series, but I want to as we conclude, that uh, verse 1 in the Amplified says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet set to wild and enthusiastic music. So I want you to put this in perspective. Here's Habakkuk. He's, he's, he's living in a corrupt Nation where they have turned their backs on God, where they're worshiping all these fake gods. Habakkuk has chosen to live for God through it all. And in the process of being a little dude and growing up as an adult, it seems like bad people are getting away with sin. There's, there's nothing, there's no consequences for their choices. And so Habakkuk's confused. He's got a big question mark, wondering, God, why, you know, are you blind, God? Why aren't you seeing what's going on in my nation? And so he, he comes with his doubts about God and his questions about God and puts it on the table. 
And in the process, God says, listen, Habakkuk, I see what's going on. I've been, I've been sending men like you for decades to our nation, to my nation, encouraging them to come back to faith in me. But they're blowing me off. They're ignoring my warnings. And so listen, Habakkuk, this is what's going to happen because they've blown me off for so long. I have come with mercy and grace, and it doesn't seem to help. So therefore, I'm picking Babylon. Yes, the worst nation of them all in the world at that time. They're going to march into this country, and they're going to judge it. They're going to overthrow it. That's the price that's going to happen. And so Habakkuk is just, man, holy cow, you know, God... uh, Okay, I can see you judging Judah, but using Babylon, uh, that doesn't make sense to me. I, I just don't get it. So he had to deal with all that. And in chapter two, he ends up in the watchtower. And that's where we all need to, to go when we have questions with God. We need to go to the watchtower where we get alone with God and we can dump all our doubts and all our questions before him, you know? God, life isn't fair. My, my life is going nowhere. It seems like you're against me. We can bring all of that to God, and God is big enough to be able to handle it. So here we are. Uh, let's pick it up, verse 1. Habakkuk setting this prayer to wild and enthusiastic music. What kind of music will there be in heaven? You, you, if you want to bring problems to a group of people, that's it, man. That's it. Uh, you know, you're going to have people voting from whatever to whatever. But here's a little hint. Here's a little hint right here where it says wild and enthusiastic music. I believe in heaven there's going to be wild and enthusiastic music. That's my vote. And so some of you checked out. They said, oh boy, not me, man. Not me. I don't like wild and enthusiastic music. You know, I'm chill. I'm, I'm low key, you know. That's all right. That's all right. Uh, God's all right with that too. Um, so we can have a little fun with it. But I want, I want you to think about something here. Habakkuk is dealing with a crisis. And what's he do? He cranks up wild and enthusiastic music to pray to, to sing to. It's a good, it's a good I think it's a great uh, model for you and I to follow in life. Don't you? <laughs> yes. I go back to the hippie days, you know, the 70s, the Jesus movement when all these dudes with long hair uh, they end up putting their faith in Jesus Christ and they started these worship bands that were pretty contemporary. That was the time, you know, in my life where Christian music came alive um, for young people. And there was, there was a spiritual renewal going across from coast to coast in our country, man. You know? So however you feel about Christian contemporary music, uh, it, had a, it had its great place in the founding of the Jesus movement. And it's carried over till today. So we press on, right? We press on, just like a backup, man. We press on. And, um, 
And here we go. So verses 1 and 2 in the New Living. This prayer was sung by the prophet Habakkuk. I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember mercy. Dropping down to verse 16. So I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me and I shook in terror. What's going on with Habakkuk? God told him Babylon's coming in. They're marching into Judah. Woo! That got his attention. That's why he's kind of having an emotional meltdown on the inside. But look at verse 2b. In this time of our deep need, help us. No, I already read that. 16b, I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. Isn't that interesting? God tells him Babylon's coming. His, his body is reacting to that because he knows what's going to happen historically, what's happened to other nations where Babylon's come in. Bad reputation. But he says, I'm going to wait quietly. Oh, well, that's interesting. Keep that in mind. Verse 17, even though the fig trees have no blossoms, there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. You're going to want to circle that word yet. Because, man, when you're reading verse 17, it's kind of like you're going down a drain. It's getting deeper and darker as you go, right? And it's like, man, I'm going to hit the bottom. But look it, he says, yet in the midst of everything falling apart around me, I will rejoice in the Lord. He doesn't stop there. He says, I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. That's a great place to be. When all hell is breaking loose around your life, when your world that you've held on to for so long is crumbling around you, he says, I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. That's personal. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. Lord, thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that we can read it and apply it to our lives. We want to thank you, Lord, that it's practical. Man, it's so practical. Because every single one of us are in a crisis, or we've come out of a crisis, or we're going into a crisis. And live in life in crises without you, man, it can be pretty hopeless. So we thank you this morning, Lord, for the example that Habakkuk models for us. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to apply what Habakkuk learned to our lives personally. In Jesus' name, amen. You can see in the program Habakkuk living in the real world. That's what I like about this book because there, this, this story, these chapters have not been diluted. They haven't been tidied up. It's pretty raw. It's pretty transparent, and I like that. And then the title for this morning, Living for God No Matter What, I think, friends, we all, if we're going to live um, with victory, with success in our spiritual journey, there has to come a time in our life that we have to draw a line 
in our core where we say, I'm going to live for God no matter what. No matter what. No matter what, I'm going to live for God. You could say it a couple different ways. But I'm choosing to live for God no matter what. And that brings us this morning to the intro uh, of the talk that we have to settle in with God. We have to settle in with God. That's what Habakkuk did. That's what he learned. That's what he's modeling for us. And that's where we're starting back in verse 1 in the Amplified, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet set to wild and enthusiastic music. When you are discouraged, when you are beat up, when you are facing despair, are you going to let your emotions dictate to you how you're going to live your life and respond to it? Or are you going to do something about it from the inside and say, Jesus Christ is living in me, and because of that, because I know where my future is, I'm going to be with him in heaven forever one day. I am choosing to settle it. And he does so with wild and enthusiastic music. Now, a footnote to that. We've got, we've got um, in Jeremiah 39. So if you have your Bibles this morning, you can keep your finger in Habakkuk and, and uh, back up to Jeremiah chapter 39. And I like this chapter because it's endorsing everything that Habakkuk has been telling the people in Judah about. It's the same thing that God told Habakkuk. It's the same thing Habakkuk now is transferring onto the people. In verse 1, Jeremiah 39, in January, that's coming up by the way. We're in November. January's around the corner, right? Of the ninth year of King Zedekiah's reign, King Nebuchadnezzar came with his army to besiege Jerusalem. Two and a half years later, on July 18th, in the 11th year of Zedekiah's reign, the Babylonians broke through the wall and the city fell. What does that tell you? That tells you, number one, that the Babylonians broke into the walls of Jerusalem, right? And the city fell. And you can read that chapter and the chapters behind it and find out a little more detail. But the fact of the matter is, what God told Habakkuk happens with the prophet Jeremiah, where he sees these very things coming into fruition. This morning, I want to encourage you that when you read your Bible, it's not a fairy tale. It's not a fallacy. It's not, I hope so, it's true. It's true. You could go back into history and find out, without even navigating through the Bible, you could just go back into history, and you'll find that the Babylonians invaded Israel. It was done. Just like it says here in Jeremiah 39. The Bible and history endorse each other. And that's what I get fired up about because I'm not reading a comic book. You know, when you see, when you see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fiery furnace, that's not fairy tale. That's not pretend. It actually happened. And so when we look at Jeremiah, he's, he's hanging around the same time of Habakkuk. You have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were younger than Habakkuk, but they were exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon. And so they had a decision to make. Their parents trained them to live for God, 
And even though they had their names changed when they went to Babylon, and they could have very easily assimilated into that culture and say, well, God must have forgotten about me because he took me from my family and my home from Israel, and I moved all the way to Babylon. I'm really ticked off at God. I'm going to become an atheist. That's not what they decided. They were resolute. And so when the music started in Babylon to bow down to this phony God, they stood. You and me, all across this room, we need to start standing for what's right and stand with God and stop compromising in our decisions and our choices and our way of thinking and the way we live our lives. That's not going to change a culture. And when we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a furnace, who shows up? Jesus Christ. Yeah, he shows up in the furnace with them. I love it. I love it. So we can see settling it with God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego settled it when they went to Babylon. Habakkuk settled it with God in the watchtower. You and I have to settle it in our relationship. And I want to ask you this morning, what's it going to take? What's it going to take for you to finally say, no matter what, I'm going to live for God? What's it going to take? You can answer yourself using sign language so we can't hear you. But I want to submit that question to you this morning. You know, how long, how long are you going to live your life modeling the character of Babylon and start living for the kingdom of God and his righteousness? What's it going to take? What does God have to do to get your attention? Well, because God loves you, he wants to get your attention. Why? Because he wants you to be with him forever. Amazing. I love it. And so, not everything's going to go our ways in life. Have you noticed that too? And things weren't going Habakkuk's way because he would have, he would have vetoed what God had planned on bringing Babylon into Israel. He would, have, he would have said, no way, God, that's not what I'm going to do. But his circumstances weren't changing. But what happened? Something happened on the inside of him. That's where it has to happen in each one of us. Our attitude has to change. Our commitment has to change. And so here it is, Habakkuk saying, even though I don't understand, I don't like God's decision, guess what? I am going to still trust, put my trust in him because he knows better than I do. So number one, hang tough with Christ when fear comes knocking. Verse 16, I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me, and I shook in terror. I wait, I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. First thing, wait quietly, wait quietly. That's an interesting uh, thing to tell yourself. I'm going to wait quietly when the enemy of our country comes marching in. Boy, that's, you talk about self-control. I will wait quietly. Whew, there it is. Um, I trembled inside. That means my insides quaked. Have you ever had that happen to you? Where your insides quaked? 
some of you might say, well, when I had the flu, they did. Yeah. My stomach quaked when I had the flu. Uh, well, we're talking about non-flu situations. This is exactly what was going on in Habakkuk's life. It's not the flu. It was the news that, that Babylon was coming in. In Luke 22, Jesus had the same thing happen. I trembled inside. He was dealing with fear. Look at this. Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will be to be done, not mine. In verse 44, I, he prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Can you imagine that happening? Can you imagine the stress, the anxiety Jesus was carrying, knowing that in a short time he would be carrying the sins of the world, your sin and my sin on the cross, where his relationship with his father would be temporary, put on hold, because a holy God couldn't hang with an unholy person? Whew. Jesus wasn't saying, hey, I, I, I want to veto that, Father. But notice where he signs off. He says, not my will, but your will be done. So, okay, if that's what I need to do, I'll do it, Lord. My heavenly Father, I want to do this in obedience to you. So, we see Jesus embraced the will of the Father, and Habakkuk basically did the same thing. He entrusted his life to God in the watchtower. And that's why and how he could respond the way he did. Henry Blackaby, we hit this in the beginning of the series, and Henry says this, a crisis of belief is not a calamity in your life, but a turning point where you must make a decision. You must decide what you truly believe about God. You know what? That goes for every single one of us in this room this morning. That's a crisis of belief. Hey, Billy Graham had a crisis of belief. Every single one of us, at some point, we will have a crisis of belief. And Henry says that's not a calamity, but it's a wake-up call to realize that you've got a decision to make. You must decide what you truly believe about God. That's exactly what Habakkuk did in the watchtower. When life was not making sense, when he didn't, he didn't get the answers he wanted from God, he decided what he truly believed about God, and that's why he responded the way he did. And that's how you and I can respond likewise. God told Habakkuk about the coming invasion of the Babylonians. And Habakkuk says, God, oh man, it messes me up physically, but I'm going to trust you through it. I don't know if you can relate to what Habakkuk was going through physically with his body trembling and his body just kind of shaking with fear and terror. But the one thing that I recall is back in 9-11 when the terrorists were flying planes into the Twin Towers. When the, when the plane hit the first tower and that became news. And then the second plane hit the second tower. And then another plane hit the Pentagon. And then a fourth plane was set to be heading towards Washington, D.C. I don't know what kind of emotions you were going through, but I can remember inside me realizing we are under attack. And when is this going to stop? And how many more planes are going to hit strategic places in our country? Remember those days? Yeah. 
Yeah. It's a little picture of what Habakkuk was going through when he saw through spiritual eyes that the Babylonians were going to begin marching into his country and destroying it. So that's just a quick reminder that God is hanging with us when fear comes knocking. I like in verse 16 where it says, I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. That word, wait quietly in the Hebrew, it means to rest. It means to settle down and remain. How many of you can, can identify, man, when a problem, a crisis, a conflict comes, what's your brain say? Get out of here. Run away from it, right? Get away from this, man. You don't deserve to deal with this kind of a crisis in your life. That's what our brain says. But Habakkuk, instead of running away from God, he embraced God and he says, I will wait quietly. I will wait quietly. I will settle down with you, God. I will rest in your presence, God, while the Babylonians come marching into my country. You see that? Man, it's a picture of how a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, should be living their life. In the midst of your world crumbling around you, you are resting in the very presence of God. I'm waiting quietly in the presence of God. It's the same word that was used in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, verse 8, where it says, Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. You see it? So in the Ten Commandments, we're told, man, you take a rest, you weigh quietly on the Sabbath. That's the same word that Habakkuk pulled in, I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster strikes my people. Pretty interesting, huh? So God goes on to say that on uh, verse 11, God rested on the, on the seventh day. Same word of resting, settling down, and remaining. That's what God wants, man. If you want to hang with God, hang tough with him when fear comes knocking on your door, we have to rest in God's presence. That's what gets you through. Number two, choose to rejoice when life falls apart. Verse 17, even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there's no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Man, this, what a text, what a group of verses put together to encourage you and me through life, you know? Habakkuk's saying, hey, as long as you live on this planet, you're not going to be living in a perfect environment. Things that you may put your trust in, they're going to collapse around you at some point in time. And God wants you to know that he's going to see you through no matter what happens. Everything else around you may collapse, but God doesn't collapse. He's indestructible. He's always there. George Buttrick Put it this way, the same sun that hardens the clay melts the wax. What's that about? Life can be so brutal that living on this planet, it will harden your heart. 
it will turn your heart like clay and brittle and broken. Or you can allow that same sun to melt the wax around your heart. That's what Habakkuk decided to do. When he was in the watchtower, he said, man, I can choose to be bitter and angry at God. I can keep on doubting and throwing questions at him. It's not getting me anywhere. I'm deciding here and now in the watchtower that I'm going to rest in God's presence and I'm going to allow his presence to keep my heart soft before him. That's a decision that he made. That's why we have to choose to rejoice when life falls apart. There was a dude who uh, was out in his backyard working and he noticed a cocoon on one of the lower branches of his tree. And um, the cocoon was getting to the point now where he could actually see, the, the cocoon was transparent, he could see the butterfly moving around in that cocoon, you know? And, and the wings pushing out against the cocoon, you know? And so the dude was watching this for a while, and he started to feel sorry for that butterfly, thinking, man, he doesn't deserve to be in that cocoon any longer. You know, he's been in there long enough. So he went back into the house, and he got a razor blade, and he put a little slit on the side of that cocoon. He figured, I'm going to help this butterfly out. In fact, I'll get a thank you note from this butterfly in a week or so, thanking me for helping him out to get out of this cocoon once and for all. But what he didn't realize was the way God made butterflies, the body fluids inside the butterfly's body, by the resistance pushing against the cocoon, forces the body fluids to push out to the wings. And it literally gives life to those wings to where it will cause that butterfly to be able to fly. And so what happened, because he slit that cocoon, that butterfly came out, but he died shortly thereafter because the fluids in his wings never got to where they needed to be. They all got stuck in his body, couldn't fly, and ended up dying. You know what? God brings and he allows resistance in your life and my life so that we rely on him for those fluids that get into our wings, our spiritual wings, so that we can soar with God in heavenly places. That's what he wants. He's not causing resistance in your life to punish you, you know, to take fun out of your life. No, he's trying to develop character and endurance in that relationship with him. So let's walk through what Habakkuk talks about, where everything around him in his known world is collapsing. He says there's no figs and there's no grapes. So the blossoms on the fig tree and the grapes forming forming on the vine, refer to trusting for the future. When you see blossoms, I've got, an apple, I've got a couple apple trees in our backyard. In the spring, when the blossoms come on that apple tree, what's it saying? It's saying in the future, there's going to be some fruit on this tree, right? And that's exactly what the fig trees and the grapes, when you see those blossoms, it's a sign of what's coming in the future, but here, Habakkuk is saying there is no sign. There is no hope for the future. There's no figs, no grapes, no blossoms on the vine. There's no visible sign that something good is going to happen in the future. That's what he's saying. I don't know if you've ever had dreams, man, where they crashed and burned, you know? 
you, you were looking out into the future and you were thinking, man, when I get out there, life's going to get better. Well, if it hasn't happened, you can understand a little bit what Habakkuk was feeling here, right? Then Habakkuk says, not only there's no figs and no grapes, there's no olives and there's no crops. What's he talking about? He's talking about the present. He's saying, hey, uh, it's a symbol of, of the present provision. Um, the olive crop fails. Uh, the fields, you know, it's harvest time, but they didn't produce any food. Uh, that's going to disappoint you. So in fact, the word fails in the Hebrew means to deceive, to disappoint. To deceive, to disappoint. And really, there's a message behind that for all of us, that if we put all of our trust in the present, what we have in our hand, that's going to get me through. That's what's going to get me by. Uh, we're deceiving ourselves. And for Habakkuk, he's saying there were no olives, there were no crops. So not only in the future, but the present, life is falling apart. And how about you, man? If you get laid off from your job or your company that you're working for downsizes or uh, the equity in your house collapses, I mean, it's just like all of these things in your world are just falling apart. That's what Habakkuk is talking about. Last week, I had a conversation with a guy in town, and we were talking about life in general. And we ended up talking about our dads. His dad was disconnected from him. He didn't have a relationship with his dad. And even today, he, d he doesn't have a good relationship with him. And so I started talking to my dad, and we both said this. Our dads never really talked to us about life, you know? Uh, they were pretty silent on it. They just kind of let us uh, meander through life on our own. But I told him, I said, my dad may have not talked to me about spiritual things, but my dad modeled for me spiritual things because I watched him when life around him fell apart, you know, and I saw it. I saw as a kid where he would come home and my mom would basically, you know, push him away when he came home from work. I saw after he worked for the same company for 30 years, his reward for doing that, the company was downsizing at the time and he lost his position. His wife came down with cancer and he had to walk through that crisis. And it seemed like my father, even from the time he was born, if you knew his life story, he dealt with physical issues all through life. Rejection all through life. But I can tell you, he modeled what it was to be a man of God, for which I am very grateful. He didn't talk to me about it, he modeled it. And I want to tell you this morning, Habakkuk is doing the same thing for you and for me. He's modeling right in front of us on how we should respond and how we should live our lives, right? So there we have it. It doesn't stop there. It gets worse. He says there's no flocks or their cattle, and that's dealing with the past. So Habakkuk already hit the future. He hit the present. Now he's backing up to the past because flocks and, and cattle are referring to those things that you're trusting in the past. You've been raising these animals for a long time. They're hanging around your barns. They're out in your fields. 
You know, that's something that you can go back to for security. But he's saying those things are gone. All your reserves are used up. You know, there's no more money in the bank. Your family's giving you everything they can give you. They can't give you anymore. Your credit cards are maxed out, man. That's kind of the picture Habakkuk is painting for us. Oh, and Habakkuk would tell us, hey, fall back on God because he's the one that's going to hold you up when everything in this world falls apart around you. And so it's easy to trust God when the fig trees are blossoming, right? It's easy when there's grapes on the vine, when the olive crop succeeds, when there's crops out in the fields, when there's animals on the hillside and cows in the barn. Easy to trust God. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But when all those things disappear, how do you respond? Habakkuk's challenging you and me with that same question. How are you going to respond? You know? Pretty interesting. 1 John 2, 15 and 17 puts it this way. When we start trusting things on this planet instead of trusting God. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Isn't that cool? Anyone who pleases God will live forever. Man, I want to live forever with God. That's my vote today. And then we see after he comes out of everything going away, collapsing around him, where does Habakkuk go? <laughs> he says, yet I will rejoice. Look at verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Where's that coming from? That goes all the way back to verse 1 in the Amplified Version where the prayer is set to wild and enthusiastic music. That's where that's coming from. He's got the music cranking and he, come, he comes all the way to verse 18 and he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. That word rejoice in verse 18, it literally means to jump for joy, to dance for joy. Think about that. So Habakkuk, in the midst of his culture falling apart, an enemy army coming into his nation, everything around him that he had security in, it's all disappearing. He's saying, I'm going to jump for joy. I'm going to dance for joy because God is with me. Whoo, man, can you do that? Could I do that? It's quite a challenge, huh? Well, that's where God is encouraging us to go. Habakkuk determined to rejoice in God, even though his world around him was collapsing. Man, I just want to encourage all of us this morning to model that same character, that same heartbeat for God. Lord, I'm going to rejoice in you no matter what. There's a song that I believe Habakkuk sang before Mercy Me sang it. Let's listen to it.
much summarizes Habakkuk, right? His heart was torn, but he says, I'm going to praise you anyway, Lord. I'm going to praise you in this storm. When it's falling apart around me, God, I will praise you anyway. Which brings us to number three, cling to the Lord for your strength. That's what Habakkuk did. Look at verse 19. The Lord, the sovereign Lord is my strength. It's not Habakkuk's strength, you know. It's not his positive thinking. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. That word sure-footed speaks about a journey in life. And if you've ever traveled to Israel, if you've ever gone to the Dead Sea, you could see this kind of image right here. The deer up in the heights, that's, the, that's what you're looking at. And beyond those hills is, would be the Dead Sea. That's, that's the picture that Habakkuk's painting for us. The deer, and I just want to ask, could you make it up those, those cliffs like that? Uh, not me. Not me. I'd have to have a, some kind of a rope and a helicopter overhead, harness and all that stuff. But Habakkuk is saying, hey, life gets tough. There's cliffs. There's dangerous paths in life. But when God is your strength, he will make you as sure-footed as a deer where you're able to tread upon the heights. Isn't that cool? Isn't that a good promise to know that you can't do it in your own strength, but with God, his strength, man, you're able to go with him. The Lord, the Lord, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me, he makes me as sure-footed as a deer. And... Um, um, so we're clinging to the Lord. We're clinging to the Lord for strength. And um, Habakkuk paints that picture. Look at a couple ways that we can do that. Stay connected. Clinging to the Lord for strength. One, we can, we can stay connected with him, number one. Um, you know there's people that have checked out going to church because they're mad at God. Do you know there's a lot of people that have done that? They get mad at God and they stop going to church and they blame God, you know. They point their finger at him uh, for something that's happened in their life. You know, God ripped me off. Aren't you glad Anthony Graves didn't do that when he was in prison for 18 years? Huh? He kept his faith in Christ? Well, you can't let that happen. We need to stay connected to the body of Christ. Because it's so easy to get out of the habit of going to church. You know, last week I talked about Vice President Pence's uh, middle daughter, Charlotte, you know. And there was a time when she said, I'm going to be an atheist. I'm walking away from God. I'm going to stop going to church and I'm going to stop hanging around my Christian friends. That's what she said. Why would she do that? Because it's easier to become an atheist when you stop going to church. And you stop hanging around your Christian friends, right? But she said, I couldn't get away from God because he kept chasing me. Isn't that interesting? God kept chasing me. So you need to stay connected. You need to settle it, you know? I told you, I told you this many times. I appreciate that about my dad where he went to church no matter what. Every Sunday. We didn't have to debate it. We didn't have to think about it. You know, am I tired that I have a rough week? No, we're going to church as a family. That's the way it was. I like that. That's the kind of commitment we all need, friends. 
when we're going to stay connected to God. When life has fallen apart, we need to cling to him. We need to cling to his people. We need to cling to his body, the church. Man, stay connected. Number two, praise. Keep it personal. Look at verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Notice the I wills there. That's more back to the self-talk, right? That's positive self-talk. I will. I will, I will, right? I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. That praise becomes personal. You own it. You know, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to wait for somebody else to do it. I'm going to turn on that music and I'm going to tell God how great he is. And with that, we get to remember what God has done in our lives. Number three, turn a crisis into a song. All the bad stuff that's happened to you in this world, friend, you take that bad stuff and you turn it into a song praising God for his goodness and his faithfulness. That's what Habakkuk did in chapter three. Working through chapter one and two, boom. Chapter three, he gets pretty wild telling God how great he is. Kyle McCarty, he's 15 years old. He wrote this poem. Guess what he called it? Kyle's poem. Pretty original, huh? Let's read it together. God doesn't love me. You can't force me to believe God is good. This is the one truth in life. This world is a product of chance. How can I believe that God will use my life? I know with certainty that God has left me. Never again will I say that Christ is risen from the dead. I know now more than ever in my life that man can save himself. We must realize that it is ignorant to think God answers prayers. Christians declare that without God, this world would fall into darkness. This world can and will meet my needs. It is a lie to say that God has always been there for me. I now realize that no matter what I do, the truth is he doesn't love me. How can I presume that God is good? Now you would say, that is blasphemy, man. Kyle's gone off the edge. He's lost it. Listen, that's exactly where Habakkuk was. When he was doubting, when he was questioning, that's where he was. But that's not the end of the story, is it? In chapters 1 and 2, that could have been where he was, but chapter 3, it changes. And Kyle's poem changes when you start to read it from the bottom up. Let's do that. God is good. How can I presume that he doesn't love me? The truth is, no matter what I do, I now realize that God has always been there for me. It is a lie to say that this world can and will meet my needs. Without God, this world will fall into darkness. Christians declare that God answers prayers, so we must realize that it is ignorant to think man can save himself. I now know more than ever in my life that Christ is risen from the dead. Never again will I say that God has left me. I know with certainty that God will use my life. How can I believe that? This world is a product of chance. This is the one truth in life. God is good. He can't force me to believe God doesn't love me. Isn't that cool? My man Kyle! Woo! Man, if he was here, I'd give him a bump five right now. Right? Because that is, in fact, what happens when you wrestle with God and you embrace God through the process. 
your perspective changes. You begin to see that, yes, this crisis, I can turn it into a song. That God is faithful and that he will see me through to the other side. Kyle's perspective changed and it can change for you too. So, number four, this is where you're, um, you'll have to fill it in, friends. You're going to have to use a lot of ink here. Remember to rustle and embrace God. That's exactly what Habakkuk's name means. Remember to wrestle and embrace God. Why? Because that's exactly what Habakkuk did. That's exactly what I encourage you to do as you go through life because Habakkuk went through this journey. Does God care? Is God fair? Is God there? And Habakkuk came on the other side because he, in fact, did wrestle with God, but he also embraced him through the process. And that's exactly what Kyle did when he wrote that poem. He was wrestling with God, but he embraced God while he was going through those doubts. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing this morning. Instead of running away from God with our questions and doubts, we can embrace God and allow him to walk us through the process. Alan Gardner was an English missionary who was shipwrecked off a remote island off the coast of South America en route to start a new mission on that continent. This is back in the 1850s. And Alan was with seven other guys. Well, they tried to stick it out, waiting for somebody to come and rescue them, to bring some food, but nobody came. And finally, all of the men died from starvation. And three months later, when rescuers finally found these missionaries, they discovered the body of Alan with his personal journey journal under his body. And the last thing that he wrote in his journal was posted September 5th, 1851. This is what he wrote. Psalm 3410, those that seek the Lord lack no good thing. And then underneath that Bible verse, he wrote, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. Now, here's a man who's starving from starvation. You know, just like Anthony Graves in that prison cell for 18 years, he could have become very bitter and angry at God. This Alan Gardner could have become bitter and angry at God. God, you've forgotten about me. I'm a missionary. I want to start a mission in South America. And here we are starving to death on this island. Man, I'm ticked off at you. That doesn't, that's not where he goes. He says, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. You know what? Alan learned from Habakkuk. Habakkuk camped on the goodness of God. And that's why Habakkuk could rejoice in the midst of his world falling apart around him. And this morning, how is it with you? Could you do the same? Are you, are you meditating? Are you reflecting on the goodness of God when everything around you is falling apart? It's a good place to be. It's a safe place to be because God promises to be with you all the way to the end. And Father, we thank you this morning for who you are. We thank you, Lord, 
for the example of Habakkuk, how he settled in with you, how he hung tough with you when fear came knocking, how he chose to rejoice in you when life around him was falling apart. And finally, Lord, how he, he clung to you for his strength. He didn't have to rely on his own strength. He relied on you. And so, Lord, I pray that each one of us in this room this morning will realize that we have permission not only to wrestle with you, but to embrace you in the process. Lord, help us to see that we can be transparent with you, that we can ask you tough questions, that we can have our doubts. But as we spend time in the watchtower with you, Lord, we see who you really are. We see your character. We experience your love. And so today, I pray, no matter what each one of us are going through, Lord, help us to cling to you. And as we close out this series, I'm just asking, what is God's Spirit saying to you? What is he saying to you about what you've been hearing from Habakkuk? There need to be some attitude changes, some different commitments in your life, different priorities. Do you need to put your faith in Christ for the first time, recognizing that he is your Savior? I pray, Lord, that each one of us will settle it this morning. We'll settle it with you. That no matter what, I'm going to live for God.